Welcome to Group Function, where the ProTrue Serrati work together to find good solutions to worthy problems in dentistry with your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Patricia Sarati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome back to another group function again, oral surgery. We're doing a three part for oral surgery with Chris Waith. We already covered dry sockets, and his answer was very surprising to me. Uh, this one, OECs, was a bit more what I expected to hear. Uh, and so we're going to jump straight in, right? You are now very familiar with these group functions. So, how do you prevent and manage an OAC? Uh, shall we move on to now? Uh, a OAC, those are AOCs, OACs. Okay, so OACs, I was taught at dental school that uh, a lot of times when we take a tooth out, we probably make an OAC without even realizing, uh, and, and it's a very common thing, and actually it probably heals up, especially when it's less than X millimeters, maybe that's four millimeters or, or whatever it might be. Um, I was also taught, and here's why I've been a little bit, a little bit naughty. Uh, so let's play Zach's in, 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 in Zach's absence. Let's play uh, Am I Naughty If? Um, am I Naughty If I get my pay? If, if I'm really not sure if there's an OAC, and then I, then I want to start them on the regimen, which we'll talk about shortly shortly and see if our regimens are the same but if i'm really not sure then am i naughty if i get them to pinch their nose and try and blow out their nose aka the valsalva maneuver because i was taught not to but a few times i'm really not sure whether i'm about to start this patient uh, on the regimen i have done it um what do you think I'd say yes, you are naughty. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, I, I shall do that again. <laughs> I, I mean, my logic is that I think um, we we must cause OACs all the time, but ninety nine percent plus they just heal. Uh, some of the time it will be because the membrane's completely intact and the whole the communication is actually it's just a bony break. Sometimes the hole in the membrane will be so small that your body can heal it. If you've got a small hole and you squeeze your nose and blow, essentially what we've just got them to do is what we're about to instruct them not to do for the next two weeks because we know it might open up the OAC. So I'd, I would say if, you go, if you're going to check, um, grab your suction off your nurse so that she's not tempted to put it down to the bottom of the socket. Just get your suction over the top of the socket, either get the light from your loops or your chair light in a decent position and just look. And I think if you can't see anything obvious, um, it's not to say it's not there, but if you can't see it, that's good. Because like, I, I usually teach five millimeters. I say less than five millimeters. I think you can kind of sit on that, give them the instructions. And I, I try and make myself feel better. I put some collagen cubes in the coronal portion of the socket. Yeah, and so do I. Um, if it's bigger than five millimeters, you, you really, you, you're into the point where I don't necessarily think we should be expecting GDPs to do something super courageous at that point. Like if you were thinking that that actually needs some kind of physical closure, I think if you're the GDP, the quickest, simplest thing you could do is just take an alginate, uh, take an alginate, send it to the lab, just say to the lab, this needs to be kind of processed now. So we need a bit of a favor and you want a clear blowdown. So clear blowdown to cover the, all of the teeth, but also- Like an Essex container. Yeah, yeah, Essex. Yeah, so an Essex that grips the socket. So it's gotta be tight over the socket. And the logic is then you put that in and you say to the patient, you wear this 100% of the time with the exception of taking it out to brush your teeth. Um, while they're eating and drinking, they haven't got food and drink going up into the sinus. 
so that you're trying to prevent them getting a sinusitis. And really, you can go two ways with it. One is if it definitely needs closing, that's great. Refer them, but they wear that until they see the surgeon. Or you might say, do I still try and treat this conservatively? So the last one I saw was last summer when one of our associates took a tooth out. Uh, about a week later, the clot broke down and they started to get some nasal regurgitation. Uh, I numbed him up and cleaned the socket out. But when I looked, the hole was so small that I just thought, if I'd taken this tooth out now, I wouldn't close this. So I thought, you know what, I'll put some collagen cubes in and I'll suture it like I would do, but I'll take that alginate and I got him a blowdown, and he wore it for three weeks. And at three weeks, we took it out, and everything was fine. Everything had healed over. So I think that, just protect the socket. Um, don't jump into thinking, I need to advance a flap or something like that. I think leave that to your oral surgery friend down the road. Um, and then just give the patient the right instructions. I think that's very fair. Um, I think the thing with closing in OAC, when it, when it does need closing... Um, m most half-decent dentists, I think, will be able to advance the flap, especially if they place implants and things. So incise the periosteum, do a buccal advancement flap. But actually, there are times when that's the wrong thing to do. So, um, you know, the, the anatomy might be difficult, like they might have a prominent buttress. Uh, the sulcus might be shallow, might be thin biotype, it might be a big defect. But all of those things, and you're starting to think, right, buccal fat pad or palatal finger or, you know, something else. And I think, you, like, I still don't see them often enough to make this a really slick process where I kind of sit and think, oh, right, let me just do this. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So I think for a general dental practitioner, it's like, no, you, you don't need to make that, that kind of decision. Your job is just protect the socket, so get that splint in, speak to your colleague, and then your colleague can sort out everything else. And, I mean, even going back a step, I think just preempt it. Everything we said last podcast about sectioning, sectioning the tooth looks after the socket loads more, you're much more or less likely to cause an OAC or certainly a big OAC. Um, and then even when it does happen, either leave the socket and support it or collagen cubes and suture it. And if it's a big OAC that needs closing, fine, take your alginate, put your splint in, refer it on. And I think then you've got touch wood, all bases covered. I think that's such great real-world GDP-friendly advice because you're, you're right, man. You, even you don't see these regularly enough as an oral surgeon to make this like a, 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 an autopilot kind of thing for you. So, yeah, why should GDPs be expected, uh, even with implant training, to be able to know exactly which is the best route in that, in that scenario? Definitely sent to an oral surgeon. Makes good sense to me, uh, but it's a real gem there to 
take that algin impression, get that um, Essex retainer made, uh, and then as part of the pharmacological care, obviously the instruction you give to a patient is not to blow your nose. And now I remember taking out an upper molar at Guy's Hostel uh, as a DCT, and, and unfortunately I didn't see the patient when he came back, but I think he, he sneezed and he held his sneeze in, and uh, apparently like it was an absolute sight. The, the antral lining had herniated into the mouth. Uh, and that, I mean, how does he, how does he even heal from that? I mean, it, obviously the, the body's remarkable, but that's not a pretty sign. No, no. I've, I've still never seen a proper antral polyp like that. Um, yeah. But I've, I've seen some big holes and I've seen some long-standing fistulas. Um, and it, particularly the fistulas, if it's been open for a long time and they've had food and drink going into the sinus, it's horrible. You know, it's really, really it's full of anaerobes, really smelly. Um, and like I, I've listened to an ENT surgeon not so long ago, and his advice I, I can completely get on board with, which is if they get to that point, you're actually, they need to go and see ENT to properly have the sinus cleaned out and have some drainage before they have the OAF closed. So from our point of view, you want to avoid all of that just by taking care of the communication and not letting it become a fistula. And my instructions would be just like yours. So dabbing the nose instead of blowing it. If they're sneezing, they've got to let it let it out rather than squeezing the nostrils. Um, I'm a little bit funny. Like There are obvious pressure differences, like not to go diving for a few weeks, but also plane travel I'm a bit dubious about. So if somebody's got... Um, a maxillary tooth that's close to the sinus, I like to know that they're not flying in the next kind of week or two, just in case. That's a good point. Um, then I don't I don't massively go into chemicals. Normal analgesic regime, I wouldn't bother with any antibiotics. You might give them something like beconase. Um, and like I think, I, I don't know what yours was like, but when we were undergraduates, we often got told to give them ephedrine. Yes. So ephedrine nasal drops. Now, Jerry, the ENT surgeon that, that I was talking about, we chatted a lot about this because he's very anti-ephedrine. And his logic is that you stifle the blood supply to the nasal epithelium. And in trying to treat one thing, you actually create another, that you get a rebound disease in the nasal epithelium. So he said for us, ephedrine is either short term it's just two or three days or avoid it and go steroids so just go beconase over the counter stuff and that's something that you prescribe or can, can we get beconase uh, over the counter is, is it like any chemist yeah or okay. supermarket how about sterimar or those saline uh, rinses just to keep your nasal passage uh, patent I, I probably wouldn't bother i mean my, my question would be what are you trying to do it for and really that's that's why i wouldn't jump on antibiotics because really, nothing there is infected. Even if you're giving them a suck down, right? Even if it's like a big enough that you're going to go to the suck down and center also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think okay. I, I still wouldn't. We might be dubious about infection, but those antibiotics that we gave them straight off, they're probably not going to stop that. It's going to be the physically tr treating it and closing everything that will prevent the infection. And also, if you if you get to the point where you're teetering into OAF and they have got some kind of sinusitis, the way that EMT treat that with antibiotics will be very different to our way of treating it. Um, Jerry's regime, he, he said, you know, it's not unusual for him to give people four or five weeks worth of antibiotics because wow. he says the absorption's so poor 
that actually they need a sustained dose over a long time. Now, none of us would ever do something like that. So about five days of amoxicillin that we usually give is uh, really not hitting yeah, us well then. I, I mean, I wouldn't give amoxicillin either. It'd be something like doxycycline, yeah. something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Well, there we are. Again, you've, you've surprised me again, and I'm, I'm pleased to hear it. I think that's one less reason to, to reach for the prescription pad. Uh, amazing. I, th I think this is a kind of prevention is better than cure one. It's like, look, look after the small communication, bigger one, suck down splint, refer it on, close it early if it needs closing, and then try and stop those patients getting OAS and sinusitis. Perfect. Very happy with that. Um, so that's how you manage OACs. Amazing. Well, there we have it, guys. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Listen, if you're listening on Apple, please give this show a five-star rating and leave a comment. I love reading them. That's how this podcast grows. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, give us a comment, uh, and I really appreciate that. We'll see you in the next group function where we cover the dreaded tuberosity fracture. Like, this is the scary one, right? Like, this is the kind of thing that you see on social media and the, the, the dentist has removed a molar, but actually has removed, like, the maxilla with it. So this is, like, the scary one so let's let's wait for that juicy one i hope you never experience a tuberosity fracture but if you do you'll be well equipped from this next episode coming so i'll catch you in that one yeah.